And we welcome you into another edition of Saturday Tailgate. Week 7 of the college football season is upon us. We're with you each and every week here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick Hale, Marquise Munson with you, leading you right up to kickoff. Hollywood, you wake up this morning here in the wonderful city of Nashville, and it's 45 degrees outside. I love it, man. Hoodie and scully season is underway, man. I love it. People have no excuses now to miss college football games, right? So mm-hmm. if you, if, I shouldn't see low attendance at any games because it's too hot outside. It's a hundred degrees. I don't want to watch this team lose, and it's a hundred degrees outside. No, it's it's cold. Make sure you go watch some college football, whether it's on your TV screen or whether it's outside. Go watch some college football. You have no excuses anymore. It's a beautiful thing when the college football gods say, you know what, Texas-Oklahoma plays today, LSU-Florida plays today, let's end the nonsense with all the heat and the humidity and people sweating their brains out and fans going for shelter in the tunnel and staying out of the sun. Let's drop the digits a few degrees. Yeah, I mean, so long, you know, kickoff yeah. it's going to be fifty-eight degrees. As long as it's, if it's below seventy, I'm out there, man. Eighty, we'll have a discussion. I'm out there regardless. But and I, I don't understand it. Sometimes it's too hot to be out there in the sun, and sometimes the games go by so slow, and you're kind of sitting there, and the sun's hitting you in the face. And I understand, but man, look, this now it's no excuses. It's cold outside. Put on your team's hoodie. Go out there and and go watch some football now. All right, let's get right to it, Captain Kurt. Let's get to the Saturday Spotlight. It's time for the Saturday Tailgate Spotlight. Shining a light on the biggest matchups this weekend in college football. We begin today at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, right next to the Texas State Fair. You can call it the Red River Shootout. You can call it the Red River Showdown, the Red River Rivalry. If you want to be politically correct or if you want to just say, you know what, I don't care, it's Texas, Oklahoma, I'll call it what the hell I want to call it. But it is Oklahoma and Texas. And when you think about that second week in October, this is the matchup you always think about in college football. Sam Ellinger, Jalen Hurts, Tom Herman, Lincoln Riley. This, to me for a non-SEC game, is about as good as it gets from a rivalry standpoint. Yeah, according to a lot of other people on the outside, this is the biggest rivalry in all of sports, right? This is the the end-all, be-all. This is the, the granddaddy of them all, right? According to a lot of people, but... Nah, and especially when you look at both sides. And obviously, you, you have a period in rivalries to where it kind of dies down a little bit because, you know, maybe coaching change, maybe the players aren't there. And you kind of saw that with Stoops and saw once Mac Brown left Texas and it, and they had the Charlie Strong days and, you know, those dark days of Texas football. And that rivalry seemed to die down a little bit, but it's good to see it being relived with, you know, Tom Herman and, and Lincoln Riley. And, you know, Tom Herman has even talked about putting, you know, wanting to put the, the hook'em horns back on the map and, you know, making it seem like it's like, it means something now, and and that's what I think this rivalry's back, and, and it's back at, at, on a competitive basis. That rivalry's always been there with the people that actually live in the rivalry. Obviously, if you're a Texas fan, if you're an Oklahoma fan, that rivalry's never gone away, no matter how bad the team was during the Charlie Strong days, but it's it's more competitive now. Texas can finally make an argument of, you know, we can compete. We can compete with Oklahoma. We can beat Oklahoma. We proved that last year when we beat Oklahoma. So, you know, I, I love this rivalry that it's back. It's back to being a competitive rivalry. 
And it's going to be one of the best games maybe today to watch on in college football. And there's something about Tom Herman when he coaches teams as an underdog. He is 8-7 and seven in his career as a head coach as an underdog against top 25 teams. That is the best record. He's the only coach in college football with a winning record against top 25 teams when he is an underdog. They are a 105 to an 11-point underdog today. And you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, Texas has already played LSU. So they're, they're battle-tested. They came up small. They lost by a touchdown at home. But you wonder, as good as Oklahoma has been, has Oklahoma seen the competition that Texas has so far? And obviously that starts with Jalen Hurts, a guy who's battle-tested. He's played in Iron Bowls. So this stage won't be too big for him. But Oklahoma has yet to play a competition like Texas Whereas Texas has already played LSU. Yeah, and, and I think that kind of benefits Texas in Texas's favor because of that. Now, they have been pretty quiet since that LSU loss. They did rack up three wins against Rice. They did have another tough game against Oklahoma State, and they also played against West Virginia. You know, Sam Ellinger is still playing well. He has nine touchdowns of the season, over 700 yards passing in those three-game stretch. And, and the running game has kind of been on point. But when you look at this Oklahoma team, like you said, they haven't really been tested. I mean, Kansas is a laughingstock of their conference at this point. And, you know, Houston was a team that, you know, they played in that first game. And they're like, oh, okay, this season's over. Uh, let's bench our whole senior class. And better luck next year, 2020. We're coming back. The Cougars are coming back in 2020. And, and they haven't really been tested on not even just the offensive side because I think – when you have so many dynamic offensive players like a C.D. Lamb, like a Jalen Hurts, you know, their running game with Trey Sermon, I think that doesn't leave. I think it's the defense is the real big question of whether or not they need to be the ones to get tested. Because you still, you know, a lot of people are saying like, okay, this Oklahoma defense is looking pretty good. Yeah, you look pretty good when you're going against, you know, Les Miles in Kansas. Yeah, your defense is going to look pretty good against them. But... You know, now it's you're going against a team with a dynamic running game with Sam Ellinger, who's who's playing lights out this season, just like he did last year. This is a team that beat you before and and caused problems on that defense before, and also scored over forty points against you last year. So that's going to be the biggest question of it's not if Jalen Hurts is going to be tested; it's going to be if Mm -hmm. that defense is finally going to get tested this day. Elsewhere today in college football, number 10 Penn State travels to Kinnick to take on number 17 Iowa. The Nittany Lions have won five straight in this series, and Penn State has beaten its first five opponents by nearly 40 points per game. You look at Penn State, and they've been on national TV a couple of weeks. They've got speed and athleticism for days. Iowa coming off of that close, low-scoring, grinded-out affair against Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. This should be an interesting matchup because Penn State's got speed. Iowa, very strong, physical team at the point of attack. And Penn State's a small favorite on the road today. Yeah, and I look at the game last week that Iowa had against Michigan and and mind you, Michigan has been struggling on offense, but to hold them to 267 yards in total offense in that last game and that 10-3 loss to Michigan last week, you know, this Iowa defense is really good. And I think that's been – see, we know – and I know I'm, I'm sounding like – I'm sounding redundant when I said last – set like a couple seconds ago when I said, you know, Jalen and this offense doesn't need to get tested because I feel like they have the talent there. The question to me is opposite with Penn State because it's still out with it whether or not Sean Clifford is that quarterback that's going to be able to take Penn State to that next level. 
And I think by playing a team like Iowa, who is so good on defense, who, you know, when you look at their scoring defense, especially they're behind only Wisconsin and and Penn State, who Penn State's defense is pretty good as well. So that's going to be my biggest question. This is going to be a game of defense. You know, Nate Stanley had a bad week last week where he threw three interceptions to that Michigan defense, and that kind of cost him the game because obviously obviously it was a low-scoring game. But that's going to be the biggest test for me is whether or not Sean Clifford is going to be able to play against this good defense, if Nate Stanley is going to be able to bounce back from that three-interception you know, game against Michigan. And and to me, that's going to be the, the test for them because when Penn State has to go against Michigan and they got Ohio State later in the season and you know they're going to have to go on the road against Michigan State, and I know Michigan State's not where they want to be record-wise, but they're still really – physical team on defense mm-hmm. you know I, I think this is a perfect opportunity for Sean Clifford to get tested a little bit and and to play a tougher defense to see where this Penn State team can go no question it is it is uh it is a prove it month for Penn State they've got Michigan and Michigan State coming up after this week in the month of October elsewhere college football today USC travels to South Bend as they take on the number nine Notre Dame fighting Irish USC with already two losses on the year Notre Dame Still one of these teams, despite the loss to Georgia, and it was you know relatively competitive, uh, still believes they have a shot, if they run the table, to work their way into the college football playoff discussion. Notre Dame about a 10.5, 11-point favorite at home today. You know, I, I just don't know if USC can slow Ian Book and that offense down. This, now, this feels like it could be one of those two-touchdown, runaway-type days for Notre Dame. Yeah, but and it all depends on what Notre Dame can do on defense because USC does have weapons on defense in that receiving core. Uh, Slovis is coming back in this game. He's going to be a starting quarterback. And, you know, I, that's going to be the biggest question. And, you know, talking about Notre Dame having to run the table, they're going to have to win this game. Ian Book in that offense is going to have to win this game in dominating fashion if they want to continue to be in that conversation just considering the fact that you look at Michigan and they're not the team that everybody thought they would be. So even if Notre Dame does beat Michigan, it still is like, okay, you beat a Michigan team that struggled against Army, that you know struggled to, to get by you know certain teams, and they even struggled to get by Iowa. So you know it's that's going to be the question. And it's, it's basically going to be whether or not Notre Dame's defense can keep USC off the field because we know how dynamic this offense has been. It's been a fun ride for Clay Hilton. As at last, he held on for as long as he possibly could, <laughs> he could with this offense and you know having his third-string quarterback even starting in a game. And he's held on long enough, man, but this is kind of where it starts coming to an end, where Notre Dame gets kind of like a dominating victory against USC. Final game in our national spotlight today, Michigan State at number 8, Wisconsin. And you look all of a sudden, Wisconsin is one of these teams kind of flying under the radar from the standpoint of we talk about six teams in college football right now, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Everybody thinks it's a six-team race for four spots in the playoff. But don't sleep on Wisconsin. Not only is Jonathan Taylor a monster, could very well end up winning the Heisman Trophy this year, certainly a finalist to get to New York City, but Wisconsin's defense, they are number one in total defense in yards per game, scoring defense, passing defense, third down defense, and second in rushing defense. Flat out, they don't let you move the football. Yeah, absolutely. And and they, they've hit every aspect of what we wanted to see from Wisconsin throughout because they've always had the dynamic running game. You know, we, we can mention the running backs they've had years past with Monte Ball and Melvin Gordon, and they, but they never had two things. 
is a consistent, good defense and a quarterback. And now I think they have both of those. Now the question is, jury's still out on the quarterback situation. But when you look at this defense and you looked how they performed, now obviously they're going to have a tough task when they end up playing Ohio State. And that's probably one of the best offenses they're going to face all season. And that's going to be the biggest test that they have on that defensive side of the football. But And, and it's kind of hard to determine how good this defense is when it, they play Michigan. And Michigan's really not that good on offense because they scored 10 points last week in a victory. So it's, you know, they've hit every ground of what they needed to do to be a complete team. Because it was always the narrative of, yeah, they're a team that's going to always have a good running back. But, and maybe a good offensive line, but they're never going to take you to the next step because of these reasons. Now, this is, the, I think, the first season probably since, you know, the Russell Wilson days of they actually have a team that can contend and compete. And we'll see you as the days go by, the competition gets better, and they got to end up going against guys like Ohio State and, you know, including this game against Michigan State. Because, you know, don't sleep on Michigan State because they're still a physical football team and, you know, they can put points on the board as well, but, you know, this might be a tough task for them this week. Coming up next, we will get to our SEC swing, which will, of course, feature number seven, Florida, at number five, LSU. And in just about 10 hours, the sun will find its home in the western sky, and it'll be Saturday night in Death Valley, where dreams come to die. The SEC swing is coming up next. Nick and Marquis, Saturday tailgate, week seven, here on ESPN 1025 Game. Saturday tailgate rolling on live here week 7 on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick and Marquise with you, leading you right up until kickoff today at 11 a.m. The Vols in Mississippi State today at 11. Texas, Oklahoma at 11. A lot of good ones in the early portion of today's schedule. But right now, we focus on the Southeastern Conference. Now, let's focus in on the Southeastern Conference. All right, we will break down LSU and Florida more extensively coming up at 9.30 this morning, but just a quick thought on that game tonight in Death Valley. I think the biggest question I have about this game is whether or not Florida can get up emotionally for this spot coming off of what felt like their championship last weekend against Auburn. They felt disrespected in the swamp, and now all of a sudden it's an even stiffer test this week. A different breed of Tiger this week. Yeah, and a, a more experienced Tiger at that. With You know, you don't have a quarterback like Bo Nix. And, and look, Auburn could have won that game if it wasn't for you know a few mishaps by Bo Nix. Obviously, you're going to get that from a freshman quarterback. And you're not getting that with Joe Burrow in this game. And, and that's going to be their biggest challenge and their biggest issue to try to get out of this game. Of You're not going to get that same mistakes. Your defense is good. Your defense is really good. But I've I've seen what this LSU offense can do. There's so many weapons on the outside. The running game, Joe Burrow. It's just it's way too much on this offense. I think for Florida to handle because they they looked last week. You know, Bo Nix had some moments to where he looked like a really good quarterback, but then he also had some moments where it was kind of head scratching. And you know, I, I think you don't get that with Joe Burrow because of the experience and and how long he's been in this offense. So. That's going to be where Florida loses this game. 
Keep keep an eye on the LSU defense because Kyle Trask is a little banged up. He's not 100%. We're probably going to see some of Emory Jones. But for so many years, LSU was a team founded on running the ball and playing really good defense. How many times did we see LSU and Alabama low-scoring games, you know, molded in the same type of player? The only difference between an Alabama and LSU defense over the last 10 years, you know, one plays a 3-4, the other plays a 4-3. LSU's defense might be like, hey, you know, uh, over here, don't forget about us. You know, I, I know, I know all of a sudden we're capable of throwing the ball down the field for the first time in, you know, 25 years, but we can actually play on the other side of the ball as well. Yeah. But that's kind of the biggest question for me is because when I saw them like allow 38 points against Vandy, I'm like, what are you doing? But they still won by like 30. Yeah. But they still won by 30. But I want to know how, how much of it is because of the offense gets off the field so quick. And the defense has to get back on so soon, and maybe that's causing a little bit of their struggles. I'm not too sure, but I look at this LSU defense, and if, if they can get back to the LSU defense we're known for of shutting guys down, you're not going to score 24 under 24 points against us. You know, we're going to hold you to 24 points, and that's where it's going to lie. If they get back to that style of defense, that physicality style of defense, Look, they're going to be a tough team to beat because that's been my biggest concern about LSU has been that defensive side of the football. Number one Alabama today at 2.30. It's the CBS Game of the Week as they go to College Station to take on number 24, Texas A&M. Alabama about a 17-point road favorite in this matchup. Everybody says Texas A&M is a year away. 2020, the third year for Jimbo Fisher, will be the year where they take that big leap. Any chance they take somewhat of a leap today, I actually think they have no chance of stopping Alabama. But that being said, as down as I am on Kellen Mond in the offense, I think A&M's going to score some points today. I would be stunned if they don't get to 24. No, I would be too, especially as successful as Ole Miss's offense was last week against Alabama's defense. And I just I think, think Bama gets to 45. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I, think, I think one thing that... Alabama experienced last year with Kellen Maud was Kellen Maud was able to get outside the pocket and cause disruption, even though Alabama still won that game in dominating fashion. It, he, he had 98 yards on the ground, and he was able to get outside the pocket a little bit. And that's the Kellen Maud that you want to see. That's the Kellen Maud that makes him who he is and, and makes him a dynamic player on offense. And, you know, this defense is going to be have to hold Alabama to some stops, you know, and this defense has been pretty good this season. They haven't allowed any rushing yards this season, but guess what? Alabama ain't going to run the football. They're going to throw it all day. So I guess that statistic for um, Texas A&M, which their strongest point is stopping the run, Alabama ain't going to run the football. So therefore, you're going to have to put a lot of emphasis on that secondary. But their secondary is even good, too. They're allowing 191 yards in the passing game as well, and that's going up against, obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence and going up against Bo Nick. But, you know, I look at this this Texas A&M defense. I think they can make a few stops for them. It's just the question of can Kellen Ma take advantage of Alabama being so young at that front seven, being able to run the football, and being able to get side out of the pocket, extend plays, get first downs, using your legs, and kind of forcing Alabama, maybe do a hurry up with this young, inexperienced defense and kind of get Alabama off rhythm on defense and maybe that'll help you out because you're not going to win a shootout with Alabama. You're just not because of how dynamic this offense has been. They've scored over 40 points in all of their five games, including a 62-point game and a 59-point game last week. This Alabama 
team is dynamic. If you can hold them to 30, maybe 40 points, and then maybe you can get some kind of offense going, it won't be a bad of a loss as I'm thinking it should be. Maybe they'll get 24, maybe they even get 30. You know, maybe they can do what Ole Miss did and get 30 this day, but it's going to be a tough challenge for them. Elsewhere today, South Carolina at number three, Georgia, as good friends Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp reconvene for an Eastern Division game today. Uh, Ryan Holinsky, the freshman quarterback from South Carolina, in his debut against Alabama, 324 yards, two touchdowns. Really impressive, although it was in a 24-point loss. He'll need to do the same type of thing today if South Carolina wants to have any chance between the hedges. Yeah, and this game is going to be all on Ryan Helensky because Georgia has been able to stop the run. And I know they haven't played any dynamic running back outside of maybe Keyshawn Vaughn in that first game against Vandy, but... I think that's what helps Ryan Helensky get in the rhythm when when Rico and, and these other guys can kind of get going on in the running game. So, and if Georgia stops that run, this is going to be a game that's primarily on Ryan Helensky's shoulders. And you know, he played well against Alabama. You know, he played well against Missouri, even though they lost that game thirty-four to fourteen. And those are t- so. Those are some tough defenses. Alabama has any experience on their defense, but they still got some talent there. Missouri, obviously, since that Wyoming loss, they've been dynamic on defense, and they've been shutting defenses or offenses down. And then, of course, they got that win against Kentucky. So this game is going to rely super heavily on Ryan Helensky and what he's able to do with his arm. And and this is going to be a tough game for them as well between friends. But friends, how many of us have them? Ones we can depend on? Friends. And the friend... Kirby Smart is going to win this game in dynamic fashion against South Carolina. Okay, over on the West End today, UNLV comes to town to take on Vanderbilt. And when I saw the spread for this game, I thought, oh my goodness gracious, Vanderbilt is favored by 15 points over UNLV. Vanderbilt shouldn't be favored by 15 over any FBS team. So that just tells me that UNLV is a walking dumpster fire. What do we make of this game today? A game that Coach Derek Mason not only probably needs to win, but win convincingly. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. This can't be one of those um, Northern Illinois University games where you win that game 24-18. And, no, nah, this can't be that game. And, look, I think, and obviously UNLV has lost four straight going into this game, and Vandy's no better. They lost three straight before winning against, you know, North Illinois, Northern Illinois. But there's nothing that I've seen. And usually week by week you see kind of a growth mm-hmm. between a team. There's nothing that I saw from that Ole Miss game that makes me think that this team is going to get any better this season. And and we we knock Tennessee a lot for their effort, and we need to start kind of pointing at Vandy the same way. Of There's just I, – I don't know what's – they have so many weapons on offense with Lipscomb and, and Vaughn and Pinkney and – it seems like Riley Neal's not getting going. We had Derek Mason on the morning drive this week, and he doesn't sound too convinced in his quarterback, in his own quarterback, of like, yeah, you may, you know, Riley Neal, he needs to, you know, do some things a little better. He's done some things good. He needs to do some things better. But he also threw in the little, yeah, but you might see Deuce Wallace in this game as well. So he doesn't even know who's going to be the starting quarterback for this game. He doesn't even know how many snaps the quarterback's going to play. This has just been a complete three. This has been a very headache season for Vandy and it's crazy because and I know we hear this narrative all the time of you get a new AD the AD didn't hire you so therefore the guy that didn't hire you may be the guy that ends up firing you and I'm not trying to suggest that that's what Malcolm Turner should do 
But, I mean, when you look at, and I hate to tie basketball and football into a conversation like this, but when you look at what they did with Bryce Drew, mm-hmm. and even in three seasons, Bryce mm-hmm. Drew, first season was an NCAA tournament. Second season, won 12 wins. Last season, he had nine wins, didn't win anything in the SEC, and he got canned. So just imagine if Vandy does the same thing, don't win a game in the SEC, because their SEC schedule is going to get tougher. And imagine all of a sudden you don't win a game in the SEC. What's going to justify him firing Bryce Drew? And you're here for six seasons, and you've only had nine wins in the SEC, and you can potentially go winless in the SEC this year. So then Michael Turner is going to have to answer that question of why am I, if I justify myself firing Drew, what makes me want to keep you? And we talk about Will Muschamp being on the hot seat all the time. Well, in his four seasons, he has more wins than Derek Mason. Joe Moorhead and Matt Luke are on pace for getting more SEC wins in two seasons than Derek Mason had in six seasons. So it's just, you have to start looking at this as, you know, what is the expectations for this football team? Is it is it going to be five, six wins every year? Is it going to be maybe we'll get to a bowl game by winning the last game of the season? It's going to mm-hmm. have to start coming down to what is the expectation for this football team? And it's not beating UNLV and beating North, Northern Illinois every year and then losing in the SEC. So, And I haven't seen anything on this team that can prove otherwise that they can beat an SEC team. All right, coming up next, we will get to two games, Mississippi State and Tennessee, as well as a deeper dive on Florida and LSU. That's coming up next. It is Week 7 of the Saturday Tailgate, Nick and Marquise on ESPN 1025 Game. It is Saturday tailgate here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick and Marquise with you, leading you right up until kickoff. The Coach's Corner coming up in just about 15 minutes. You'll hear from Ed Orgeron, Gus Malzahn, Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, and Tom Herman. So let's get to the game today in Knoxville. Kickoff in just about an hour and a half as Tennessee is about a seven-point home underdog to Mississippi State. And I've struggled thinking about this game all week long because Tennessee can give up a lot of points. We saw Mississippi State give up a 56 spot to Auburn. So there should be points scored in this game between two, you know, one bad team and one underachieving team slash average team at Mississippi State. But I almost want to revert to the default of, well, I don't know if Schrader's going to play or Stevens is going to play a quarterback for Joe Moorhead. Brian Mauer's going to start, but is he going to finish the game? Will we see Jared Garantano? I, I almost want to revert back to a low-scoring, ugly game because we could see up to four quarterbacks today. <laughs> so I mean, this game, this could game, this game could end up forty-one thirty-seven, or this game could be seventeen thirteen. I have no idea. I don't either, man. This game, <laughs> I have a tough time. I want to pick Mississippi State for the simple fact that every time I've chosen Tennessee, I've lost, and I so. I want to pick. I want to, but I think last week was to me a breath of fresh air in the first half of that game. It was the best thirty minutes of the Pruitt era, except for the Auburn win. Exactly. So, but what the funny thing about that is they do that, and I don't know what happens at halftime to where they have these first half starts to where they look like a completely different team, and then they come out of halftime in the second half, and all of a sudden they go right back to being the Tennessee we thought they were. Well, I mean, just just for last week specifically, it's to me it's pretty simple. The team with the more talent wore out the team with the lesser talent. The team with the better coaching staff made adjustments against the team with the the lesser coaching staff. Yeah, but and and I think that obviously played a huge part in that too. And and it's just 
Look, if Tennessee can play, they just have to get in the mindset, we have to play a complete game. We have to play a complete game. You can't go in the first half against this Mississippi State team, even though this is a Mississippi State team that Auburn mollywhopped in the first half. <laughs> Completely dominated in the first half. I never, I thought that Auburn offense was going to show up against Florida last week, and it was a completely different, two different games. And, and I think Tennessee will have to obviously get to a high start, maybe not to that extent of scoring 40 something points in the first half, but needs to get out to that hot start, needs to get their quarterback going early on, kind of like they did against that, against that Georgia defense, but maintain it. You know, going into the second half, being able to maintain it, not going out there gambling on plays like they do every second half of games, like just pacing their themselves throughout the game. Because at this point, you really like, I, and I think a lot of that played into the part of they had nothing to lose in that game. It's against Georgia. You really don't expect to beat the one of the number one teams in the country because we don't know who the hell is number one at this point. It's like eight teams number one, but. You had nothing to lose in that game. You can kind of throw the kitchen sink at them and, and figure out what you can do. Now that you've figured out what you can do, go against a team like Mississippi State who's still also trying to figure out what they're going to do. And then try to have some, some balance on offense, please, like for the love of God. Help these people in Knoxville. We will go up to Knoxville at 10.15 this morning, talk to Ryan Callahan from 24-7 Sports. So let's get to the big one tonight in Death Valley, number 7 Florida at number five LSU, and when you look at this game, kind of interesting from the standpoint of the the venue, uh, Tiger Stadium, and you've been there. Uh, I, I've been of the belief that at night there's no more difficult venue in college football. And we were discussing off the air. I, I would say that between LSU, uh, Auburn, Neyland Stadium, when Tennessee's a really good program, the Swamp, there's probably three or four places that I think are insanely loud to play at that are maybe even more difficult than playing at Brian Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. And I don't know that there's a more intimidating venue than LSU at night. Oh, no, not there. there isn't. I think Alabama fans are a little bit more respectable. And not to say that, you know, LSU fans are just grimy and, and nasty people. But it's, a, but it's an older generation at, at Bama games, you yeah, said. Yeah, but it's, it's an older generation at Bama games. It's a little bit more of a, a respect, even though they say, Rammer Jammer, we just beat the hell out of you. You know, give them hell Alabama at the end of the games. But I just think it's – it's. I remember when we were talking and tying NFL into it, when we were talking with D-Mace, and you remember Derek said this week that the Titans offense, they just didn't have any intimidating players on defense, and the Bills kind of did have that intimidating factor. That's how I look at the fan bases of Alabama and LSU. Of, of I think there's nothing about Alabama's – fan base that is intimidating in my opinion they're a great fan base probably one of the best in the country but they're they don't have an intimidating factor considering lsu does lsu 17 and 4 in night games now mind you one of those games was last year the game that i went to where alabama went into that game and shut them out 29-0 so i think if you're an opponent on the other side you can't play within the crowd you can't let the crowd dictate how well or you know how good you play in this game. You have to, and it's hard to do when you got a bunch of screaming, a hundred thousand people yelling at you, and it's hard to block off. But I think that's what Alabama did well, and that's what Alabama does well because they've been the successful team at night in Death Valley of going in there, Nick Saban getting his team to 
block out the intimidating factor. You lose the game in pregame usually when you look on the other side of the field and that other team intimidates you. The same rules can be applied to the fan base. If you look at that fan base and they intimidate you right from the gate, you're going to have a bad game. So don't let the fans intimidate you as you go in there. Just go in there and play like you're playing in front of a home crowd. Just a bunch of a hundred and you know eleven thousand Cajun people yelling at you, and you can't even understand what they're saying because they all talk like Coach O. Feels like LSU kind of forgotten about since that Texas game. From the standpoint of being off the national radar, they've played Northwestern State. They had a bye. They played Vanderbilt. They played Utah State. Now they go to a stretch here where they get Florida this week. Then they have Mississippi State, Auburn, and Alabama. So you're playing the 7th-ranked, 12th-ranked, and 1st-ranked team in the country in the next four weeks. This is a tough stretch for LSU, and we'll get to find out now if they are truly as good as the scoreboard indicates through the first five weeks. Yeah, and we'll see how well that offense will continue to play because I feel like every team has a down stretch on offense. We saw it last week with Jalen, you know, and and I've hyped up Jalen too of thinking that he was, you know, number one in the Heisman, even though it can be anybody at this point, but you saw his struggles against Kansas. I think every offense has that one game. Tua had a couple last year. He had one, you know, one was against Mississippi State where he struggled. I think every offense has that moment. You saw with Trevor Lawrence and, and Clemson this year with, you know, UNC. Mm-hmm. Every year, you have a game that challenges you on offense. And I think LSU is going to have that. And maybe it's against this Florida team because of how well this Florida defense is, how well they played last week. You know, but, and mind you, they've been playing some young quarterbacks. They haven't played in any experience like Joe Burrow. They played Jaron Williams, who was in his first start at Miami. And then they played a Bo Nix guy. And then, and then all of a sudden in that game against Kentucky, they're playing against the backup because, you know, their quarterback got hurt. So they've been playing against some young quarterbacks with not the, with none of the experience that Joe Burrow has. So that's going to be the biggest challenge for them. But the biggest challenge for LSU is to keep that same momentum going on offense and don't lose that that offense that they, has been so successful this season. Because they're going to have their downslip. Just don't want their downslip to be against a defense like Florida's because if you give them the opportunity they're going to take advantage of it coming up next it is time for the coaches corner we're going to hear from all the coaches around the country in primetime spots today including Ed Orgeron Nick Saban Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman say there at Saturday tailgate we're back after this Saturday tailgate rolling on live here on week seven ESPN 1025 the game Nick and Marquise with you here on this Saturday taking you up until 11 o'clock this morning We will play another game of in or out to kick off the second hour. That's coming up in less than 15 minutes. But right now, let's get to the Coach's Corner, where we go around the country with all the college football coaches facing a stiff challenge today. And we begin with Coach Ed Orgeron and LSU, the primetime game tonight on ESPN. And here is Ed Orgeron talking about Florida's defense being the biggest test for his offense. You know, we know how it is in the SEC. I mean, it's going to be like this every week from now on. It's going to be a challenge, but I think these guys are going to be up for it. Or, or are we going to score the same amount of points that we've been scoring every week? I don't know. We may, we may not. Uh, the object is always to win the game and, and to play a full team. So I think that uh, our guys understand the challenge. Our guys, our guys understand the teams that we have played. Some of them are not as strong as the ones we're going to play, but we've been gearing up for this and we're ready. 
So you look at Florida's defensive line, and then you also look at some of the secondary members that Florida has. And I feel like LSU, Florida, you can make the case that they're both DBU. They always have good guys in the secondary. This will be a stiff chest. I mean, I, I don't think for a second that LSU is going to hang more than 42 on Florida like they've done throughout the course of the regular season. You look at their point total each and every week. Joe Burrow is putting up video game numbers. But I do think LSU can get to 30. No, no, for sure. E- easily. I think they can get there. Like all week long, I've for some reason, I've had 35-17 in my head. 35-17. I, I, I can agree with that score. I, I think... Keep in mind, LSU, a two-touchdown favorite. I would probably go 30... I'll probably go 30-14, to 14 maybe. I think they'll get to... I, I think they can get... I, I just look at this Florida defense and... They they they're good at getting at the quarterback, and, and I think that will play a big part of it as well. And and like I said in the last segment, I don't think they've played the experience of Joe Burrow just yet. So this defense still, uh, if you if you're gonna have these questions about what this offense can do against a good defense, you know you can have the same question for the defense on the Florida side of what can they do with a really high powered, talented offense instead of going against you know three freshman quarterbacks. And, you know, so I think that's going to be the biggest question with Florida is, you know, can they be able to make those stops against LSU? And LSU can just beat you in so many ways on offense that it's a, it can be Joe Burrow's arm. It can be jet sweeps. It can be running the football. It can be whatever. They can, they can beat you every way in this offense. So I, I just think. LSU can get more than 30 points in this game. Okay, Auburn last week lost. They are no longer undefeated. They fell in the swamp 24-13, to but they also sustained maybe even a bigger loss, and that is to their star running back, Booby Whitlow. Let's take a listen to head coach Gus Malzahn talking about his injured running back. I mean, obviously, he's, uh, he's an impact player on offense. Uh, like I said, the good thing is for that, we do have uh, a deep group at running back. Um, all those guys got a chance to mix in with uh, the ones and twos today, and really, it's a good week off week to uh, to get those other guys ready. Like I said the good thing is we do have other guys that have experience. Uh, DJ Williams, it's a big week for him this week. Harold Joyner, you know, we we scrimmaged him today, and then we got you know our three three other guys that have really got playing time up to this point. But like I said, the good thing is we we do have other options, and we got other guys that have experience. So Booby Whitlow is expected to miss four to six weeks as he recovers from knee surgery. And you look at this kid, and this is a guy who had 100 yards, had 110, 135. He's got five, six, seven touchdowns on the season. You know, Auburn and the Gus Malzahn offense is predicated on getting those first downs, running it, and then they can get into their up-tempo and really throttle you with the gas pedal. You lose a guy like Whitlow, that could certainly impact the way a guy like Bo Nix plays. Yeah, I mean, this guy was getting 444 yards rushing. The second leading rusher... Is Bo Nix on this team, and and that's and maybe Cam Martin, maybe DJ Williams will be able to to kind of fill that hole. And I think those are two players that you know, obviously Whitlow is is one of those guys where he's the total package of this team. Whereas Cam Martin and DJ Williams kind of have one of those things that Whitlow has, but doesn't have the complete running attack that Whitlow that he has. So that's and and that's tough because you know when you have. It, it, it alleviates a young quarterback's pressure when you have a guy in the backfield that can run the football effectively, especially on short yardage plays. And, you know, you, you can kind of rely on your running game to build first, and then it kind of opens up your passing game a little bit. And I think with that injury to Whitlow, that's just, it's hard. It's going to be hard for Bo Nix 
to get that rhythm going on offense now unless you know Cam Martin and DJ Williams can be those guys that can fill that gap and maybe and I and I don't think they just use one person to fill Whitlow's gap because I don't think one person on in that running attack can do that. I think it's it's kind of a rotation with those guys of trying to get that production that you're going to miss with him being out. Okay, Alabama goes on the road today to Kyle Field to take on Texas A&M. Let's take a listen to the Crimson Tide head coach, Nick Saban, talking about his counterpart, Jimbo Fisher, and his coaching staff. He was always on my noontime basketball league. Uh, He could shoot threes. He was a really good competitor, and we had a hell of a record. Hell of a record. Did a, he did a really good job of coaching. You know, I used to tell him, I said, you know, you, 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 you coach the quarterbacks like we coach the nose guard. You're really, really tough on them. But they responded well to him, and they respected him, and he did a great job of developing, you know, the quarterbacks as well. So, but my best memory is us, you know, winning in, at noontime. And, you know, he could talk a little stuff too, you know, to the other team, which he didn't learn from me, incidentally. Well, it's nice to know that Jimbo Fisher can shoot the three and play a little pickup basketball, but can he knock off Nick Saban? Because we know Nick Saban has never lost to a former assistant. Who do you think, who's more likely, and and this is probably going to be an easy answer, but who's more likely of the assistants to get that first win over Nick Saban? Well, let's go through the guys. Let's go. We got Pruitt, Smart, Fisher. Who else am I missing? Muschamp was on his staff, I believe, as well. Yeah, Muschamp. Um, if we're talking, it's just got, SEC. I mean, it's, it's got to be Kirby Smart. Yeah, it's it's, it's Kirby. I mean, Kirby's had him on the ropes in back to back years. It just couldn't finish the deal. Yeah, and I think it is. I think it's Kirby. But man, and I and I know Texas A and M is focused on what they're going to do in a couple years. But and and you heard what Nick Saban said even about how he coaches the quarterbacks and. It's it's strange to me because when I heard that, I was like, yeah, he coaches the quarterbacks hard, but I haven't seen anything from Kellen Maude that makes me think that he's improved any at all. Now, maybe that's just Kellen Maude. Maybe he's just not learning what Jimbo wants to do with that offense, but I just don't see any growth in him at all as a quarterback. So, you know, I get that he, you know, he's a genius and when it comes to building the quarterbacks and, you know, we saw what he was able to do when he was at Florida State with Jameis Winston and, you know, what he was able to do there. But it's just like, I, I, just, I haven't seen it from Kellen Maud and that's going to be, and that was the biggest question going into the season was, can he get Kellen Maud to, to be that quarterback that, you know, he's coached before and he hasn't been. So, you know, and I'm just glad to hear that he knows how to play little hoops every now and then, and he talks mm-hmm. a little trash. But you know, also I I don't know about him as a as a quarterback right now because of what Kellen Mata he hasn't made any growth this year. All right, well, if we want to talk quarterbacks, there's nobody better than Lincoln Riley right now at Oklahoma. Whether it's Baker Mayfield, whether it's Kyler Murray, or now Jalen Hurts, this machine in Norman, Oklahoma, just keeps on producing and rolling and cranking out points and touchdowns. Week in and week out. Let's take a listen. A couple of pieces of audio on uh, Lincoln Riley. First of all, with the rumors about an NFL job. I know how I feel about the one I have right now, and uh, I know that it has my undivided focus. Uh, now, right now, it's about my job and my family, being the coach at Oklahoma and being a dad and a husband. And I really don't do anything else, and so that's 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 all that matters to me right now. Uh, that's my job to keep my focus here, and that's where it's going to stay. Honestly, now more than ever, I think college football coaches, 
if you are on top of the world and you're getting paid what you're getting paid, and we see college football coaches that make $5 million and $6 million and $8 million, all the way up to the savings of the world and what they make, if you are you know, the Mike Krzyzewskis of the world at Duke, what is the point of going pro? Whether you're a college football coach to the NFL, a college basketball coach to the NBA, you are the baddest dude on that campus. You're basically the most powerful employee in the state, and you're getting paid what you get paid. Unless the recruiting grind wears you down, I don't know why you would ever. I don't know why Lincoln Riley would ever go to the NFL. Yeah, nah. he could be a god at Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. If I was Lincoln Riley, I'd just stay in. I'll stay in Norman, Oklahoma, build my life there, have my family there. If if I, I love Texas. That does not just because I love Texas don't mean I got to coach the Cowboys and have to deal with that pressures of having Jerry, you know Jerry, all under my my nose all the time and I, I control everything at Oklahoma. In the NFL, you don't get that control, and I think that's the reason why Nick Saban left is because Nick Saban wants to be in control of what his team looks like. That's why he wanted Drew Brees, and Miami was like, nope, you're not getting Drew Brees. He got bad knees. You ain't getting him. And then all of a sudden, Nick Saban was like, well, I have no control over anything I I do here, so why am I going to be here when I can go to college and when it comes to recruiting players, when it comes to you know certain things that I can control – why not just stay in college? Why go to the NFL? Now, if you're a guy like Cliff Kingsbury and you got fired and you got a choice between going, being UFC's offensive coordinator or getting paid in the NFL, I, I mean, for a guy like that, why not? Because, I mean, he's not, he wasn't very thought on as a head coach in college football. Mm-hmm. He was going to be at OC, but somebody obviously saw something different in him as far as the NFL head coach. And maybe that's just because that's the way the NFL's going with that. You know, scoring a, you know, 40 points a game kind of offense and throwing the ball 40 times a game. And, you know, that's kind of his specialty was at Texas Tech. But it, it's just, if you're, if you're, if you're the king of your, your campus, if your job security, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day is job security. You don't get that job security in the NFL. You, you know, you're playing for owners that got expectations way higher than any college program. Some college programs just want you to just win eight games and go to a bowl game every year and they'll be happy and they'll be satisfied with what you're doing. But some NFL play like mainly most of them want you to go to a Super Bowl. And if you don't live up to those expectations, sometimes right away, sometimes they have patience with you and they'll wait. Sometimes they don't and they fire you right on the spot after one year. So it's just stay with the job security. Stay out of Norman, Oklahoma. All right, how about the other coach in today's Red River shootout, Tom Herman, talking about the rivalry with Boomer Center. It is one of, if not the greatest, games in college football. You know, I've been a part of some pretty cool rivalries uh, in my day. You know, Iowa, Iowa State for three years, and then obviously Michigan, Ohio State for three years. So it's been pretty cool to, to be a part of all of those. But this one, it takes the cake just because of, you know, it, it being interstate Rivals, the two states in general don't get along very well, and then to to have it at at such a historic venue during the Texas State Fair, I think it's cool that it's always on our soil. It just the, everything that surrounds the game it makes it one of, if if not the best games in college football. And as I mentioned earlier today in the show in the Saturday Spotlight, Tom Herman is the best coach against opposing top twenty-five teams in college football. When he is an underdog, Tom Herman eight and seven as a underdog against top twenty-five teams, he gets his kids up 
when they're not expected to win against top 25 teams. Yeah, how much, and what's crazy about it is I don't think a lot of people, when he left Houston and went to Texas, I don't think a lot of people were sold on him after the first season. But And sometimes that's what I mean by being patient. And, and I think that's the main thing of being patient with a coach and letting a coach kind of build his recruiting. Tom Herman is a perfect example of that. Now, Jeremy Pruitt is a little different because obviously he hasn't shown you any, anything else outside of, you know, he's going to lose you games. But with Tom Herman, he, he was patient. He, you know, he played the course. He, he kind of went through his rough patches at Texas to begin his career there. And now all of a sudden, I would say, in my opinion, outside of Lincoln Riley, he's probably the second best coach in that conference. And this is even with Mike Gundy. And that's no knocking Mike Gundy. And that may be a, a hot take for you, but I, I just, the, these kids just buy into everything Tom Herman tells them. And he's able, and he, he built this program to, and I hate to keep trashing Charlie Strong, but that was a bad time for Texas. Oh, football. I mean, it is the best the program has been since uh, Colt McCoy and Mac Brown left. E- easily, yeah. easily the best, and because th- those dark days of of Charlie Strong was not good for Texas program, and and now he was able to build that, and that's why I say Tennessee fans be patient because sometimes it takes a while to build up a graveyard. So, and that's what Tom Herman's able to do, man, and he's done a great job at Texas. Coming up next, we will kick off hour number two with another game of in or out on five statements around the country. We'll see if we're buying or selling those coming up next here on Saturday Tailgate.